You're listening to Oh My God, I'm a Therapist, the podcast for the therapy curious with your host, Dr. Janice Murphy Rising. As a reminder, the ideas on this podcast are mine and mine alone and not meant to represent all of the therapeutic profession. It's for educational purposes only, and it's not a substitute for medical advice or individualized mental health care. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode about my EMDR journey. I am about to do my first EMDR training, and I've known about EMDR for all of my career. It was starting to gain popularity when I was in graduate school, and I knew a lot of counselors that were getting trained in EMDR. I was always really curious and interested in it, but as a new clinician starting out at the time, I had heard that it was and it is very expensive to get trained, and so I, being economical in my mindset. (laughs) And considering that I had student loan debt for the first time, I chose to do trainings that agencies freely gave me and um, went about learning it through other means. I do not practice EMDR. I have never practiced EMDR. I have referred people to EMDR. For those of you that are wondering what these initials stand for, EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. And it was created by a psychologist, Francine Shapiro, in 1987. It's now considered an evidence-based approach. Evidence-based means that there's been a lot of research that supports that it's got a lot of efficacy, meaning that Um, people report good results um, that it works. One of the things I've also heard is that it's a good alternative to exposure therapy. So exposure therapy is another trauma-informed approach, which was kind of and still is in a lot of ways the gold standard where you actually are exposed to the trauma. Arguments against exposure therapy is, for example, you don't want to re-traumatize a client. Exposure therapy works for things like people that have to drive cars, you know, exposing them slowly to the stimuli without putting them back in a situation where maybe they've, you know, had a significant car accident. Um, I had a significant car accident. I used a different method um, to heal the trauma from that. So I'm going to talk about that in a minute. EMDR is one of many trauma-informed approaches. And in, in this day and age, you've probably heard of trauma. You probably think or maybe suspect or maybe you know you have trauma. Um, Trauma is in itself a spectrum. Most people experience trauma at some point in their life. Whether they have a negative reaction to it, and the most negative reaction people have to trauma is they end up with what's called acute stress disorder, which is lesser known, but the more known is the one that is more prolonged, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. And the one that's even more prolonged than that is something called complex PTSD. And so complex PTSD just means that this person has had more than one trauma. They've had significant traumas, trauma upon trauma. And what I like about EMDR and other methods that are similar to it, again, I'm spitballing a bit here. Um, I want to just be very clear that I am not an expert in EMDR. Um, I have known about EMDR for a long time. Um, I truly believe it works. But I myself have been skeptical to get trained in it, in part because I've already had other trauma-informed approaches that I'm trained in, and in part because I'm 
kind of naturally a skeptical person. When something's super popular, I'm kind of like, eh, is it really all the hype that it lives up to be? And that in no way is a is a slight towards anybody that loves EMDR. And I, I see this a lot with clinicians, specifically clinicians. If you're someone that is a student or a client and you've um, had EMDR and it's been successful, I think that's wonderful. Um, I've heard many, many stories about that. As a clinician, though, what I see a lot is either you're really on board and you're excited about it. And for the most part, I see a lot of people that are so excited about it that they feel like EMDR is the only thing, um, which is fine. That I don't have any problem with that. I have just never been someone that took a technique and said, this is the kind of therapy that I, I am. And so I, I think that that's also something that I already did an episode on theories and why theoretical approaches are important. I think we all need some middle ground. Like we need to have theories to inform the work that we do, but we need to keep the relationship in mind. That is my bias. And so I'm, I'm very curious as I'm about to get this training. Um, I'm getting my training. I'm starting my first half of the training in, in two weeks. When I signed up for it, I didn't look at the time zone, so I live in Pacific Standard Time, <laughs> the trainings on the East Coast. So I'm going to be getting up at 6 a.m. for all of the trainings, and I have to be there for all of them in order to complete the training, which I'm going to do because, you know, I said I would. Um, so here's the reason why I'm doing it, because I probably sound like I'm sort of iffy about this, which, which I am. I'm aware anytime that people undergo a journey or a process, whether it's a journey of healing or a journey of gaining a new skill like I am in EMDR, we tend to initially have a reaction stage. Right. And I've, I've kind of had a prolonged reaction to EMDR. I've had 20 years of people singing its praises to me and being me being like, I know, I know it's great. I just have never had an EMDR session or like practice EMDR. I've listened to Francine Shapiro speak. I've listened to my friends sing its praises colleagues. I've sent people to it. I've had clients tell me good things about it. Sometimes I just get, I get exhausted hearing about it. And I don't know if there's other clinicians that feel this way about other theories, but I'm sure because I never get tired of talking about motivational interviewing. I love MI. It's called MI for short. I love that it has kind of a combination of mindfulness and humanistic and cognitive behavioral perspectives. EMDR has those methods as well. It just is like that plus. I, I'm trying to test myself. I'm trying to see like, okay, can I can I push past my own reaction? Can I poo-poo something? Which I don't openly, I guess now I'm publicly poo-pooing it. Apologies <laughs> to those of you that love it. Um, I, I mostly just try to keep it to myself. And so I've decided instead that I'm just going to be really open about my bias and do what I would tell my students to do, which is to, you know, try to let go of your skepticism and embrace discernment. And so the way that I embrace discernment is to absolutely let yourself do the research, do the homework, have a lived experience of it, try it. If you've never tried something, you don't know whether or not it works. And so I'm, I'm putting myself under that microscope. I did come across, once I was licensed, a, a trauma method called lifespan integration. And lifespan integration, the best way to describe it, in my opinion, is it's basically like there's like a moment for every year or every every memory of your life. Those moments when that timeline of moments. So if you imagine like looking at a photo album of yourself of like, this is me as a baby and this is the first time I ate pizza when I was two. And this is me playing, playing in the rain in a raincoat, you know, and this is me moving, you know, at this age and on and on, on up until like now I'm this age and all those things happened to me in the past. Our memory is encoded and stored by a timeline, and it's an emotional timeline or a um, visual timeline. And I don't even think we're really aware of it. When we have past events 
take over our present, they can take over our awareness. And so the way that lifespan integration works is it helps you with this timeline, one, to either strengthen, you can just you can just do lifespan integration. You don't have to have a trauma, which is great. You can just do it from, it's called birth to present protocol, and you can get a clinician that's trained in it that can do that protocol for you. And it will actually, I, I believe it actually strengthens your ability to be in the present moment, to you know let go of any, any negative experiences in the past that maybe take away your attention. It helps shift that. And it also gives you an opportunity to be more in a mindset of growth. So when I did my training in lifespan integration, I found very similar to what I'm anticipating with the EMDR. There were people that were so sold on it, that were really like, this is it. This is what everybody needs to do. And if you just do like every time somebody comes in and they have had a traumatic event, if they just do lifespan integration, they're going to heal. And I, I get it on one level. I think that the more people do practices like this, it helps to reduce our suffering and it helps put us in a place of being able to be in more of a place to have what Resma Minikin talks about in his book, My Grandmother's Hands, clean pain, meaning I can take this painful experience that I've had and I can grow from it and I can try to move forward in a way that's supportive of healing as opposed to being stuck in the past, being stuck in shame. And so in a lot of ways, I think these methods not only help us release suffering, they can help us, you know, if we do them enough, I think I think they can help us grow up. And what I mean by that is that they just give us other skills beyond feeling like we've just been harmed or hurt or that, you know, our circumstances are the reason why, you know, we are the way we are. You know, I talk this way to myself sometimes. I think it's very normal and human, like when we get into a negative headspace to just kind of go back to our survival strategies and our survival strategies are, I think, younger parts of us. I I think what these kind of methods, what I've seen with lifespan integration is it just, it just frees up that space so that you're not tied to the emotional connection anymore. And instead you can sort of step back or zoom out of it and talk about it more freely. So let me give you an example. When I did my training in lifespan integration, you also have to pick something that you been through and you have to work through it in the training. And so I chose a car accident I was in when I was 15. I, when I was learning how to drive, I'm going to tell this embarrassing story about myself. So bear with me. My mom was very anxious teaching me to drive. My mom's a very anxious person. When I want something, I'm like, let's just do it. And then I'm insistent. I remember driving along and my mom was like, okay, pull over. And I'm like, no, no, I want to keep driving. I want to try you know, making a left-hand turn at this intersection. And I oversteered and I hit the curb. And I remember my mom, whether this is really what happened or not, this is what I remember. My mom yelling multiple times. Um, She didn't yell. My mom's not a yeller. But she exclaimed, you hit the curb, you hit the curb. And my reaction to hitting the curb was to oversteer again, hit another car, (laughs) go up a curve, hit a circle K sign. I had a panic attack that was, and I felt so guilty and horrible. And I didn't drive for a year and a half after that. I got my license almost um, at 18 because I was so scared to drive. Anyway, I chose this as my event. And so I remember picking out like 15 events before the trauma. And then there's a specific protocol you do to do the trauma. And then, and I even remember the person I was working with saying, okay, it seems like it's done. I was like, no, no, I think I need to do it one more time. And so I did it one more time. And like the euphoria for me was the moment that there's a moment where you have to go back and talk to your younger self. And what I didn't know is that that younger part of me, had I not been in a panic attack, had I not been ashamed and embarrassed and then afraid to drive, what I wanted to do was take accountability. 
I wanted to apologize to my mom and the Circle K clerk and the car that I hit. And, you know, I actually went home and wept afterwards. I felt so free. And I still even talking about it right now, even though it's an embarrassing story to share for sure. I still feel very free because I I don't know when we look at young people and say, oh, you know, that young person's just trying to grow up. Let's give them an opportunity to be accountable. I don't know when we do that. Like oftentimes I think we look at teenagers and go, it's how to control teenager, hit a curb, hit a hit another car, hit a circle K sign, which I did. <laughs> but that that was what freed me. And I didn't know that that would free me until I did that process. And so having had that experience with lifespan integration myself, I knew that it would be something that could help people. And I've seen it help people. I've seen it help, um, especially there was a client I had that had a one-time trauma. This person was bullied and physically harmed um, in grade school. And they came to me as an adult. And I think this is a very common example, which is why I'm sharing it. I'm leaving out the person's other personal details. The person came to me with a prescription to a an anxiety medication and a antidepressant. And so they were walking around thinking for many, many years, for almost two decades, that they just had significant anxiety and depression and that was what it was. And it was very freeing for me to tell this person, look, you've had this one time really significant trauma. And sometimes what our brain does with trauma is it coats it in one part of our brain and tells us that that's what's happening in the present moment. But what happened to you earlier in your childhood isn't happening now, but your brain is acting like it. And after I did this explanation and just explained like, this is, this is brain stuff. This isn't anxiety or depression, but people can and do have anxiety and depression as a result of having a significant trauma like this. And so we ended up doing three sessions where we worked through the trauma. It was so beautiful. The fourth session, this person came in and they said, I feel better. I'm going to go back to my doctor and see about whether or not I want to continue these medications. And thank you. It was, it was so wonderful to see this transaction. I think if I had seen that transaction hundreds of times, I would have been like, this is a cure. But really, I think sometimes when you hit the right model, and you have the right relationship with the person, and it works, and I don't know what happened to that person. Maybe that person will listen to the show and be like, hey, I want you to know I'm still doing good, and I hope that that's what happened. But it can be really effective like that. Um, It doesn't mean it happens for everyone because people are unpredictable. I try as much as possible to have a good rapport with all of my clients. I haven't always had good rapport with every single person I've worked with. I've worked with thousands of people and um, not all of them came back to me or, you know, stayed with me. Some of them moved on to other methods. Um, I don't think that that is a lack of trying on my part, or I think it's a lot of it is just chemistry. I think you have to have good chemistry with somebody that you're, you're working with. And so you have to have a combination of good rapport with your clients the right fit at the right time. And so for me, how I've used lifespan integration is I just let people know about it. I let people choose it. And if it feels like something where they're like, yeah, I want to try this. I think this would really help me. I've seen it be really helpful. And maybe that's because I draw people to me that are like me that, you know, are skeptical. (laughs) Yeah. At the time that I was being trained, there was sort of this excitement about both lifespan integration, um, internal family systems, which is a both leadership and theory, theoretical orientation that's also a psychodynamic framework of um, helping people heal using their parts. And I've also been trained in yoga, yoga therapy. I've studied and also taught neurocounseling approaches to students. That was one of my favorite classes was teaching a neurocounseling class. And so I like 
EMDR, from what I know about it so far, because I just read the first chapter, is that it draws a lot from psychodynamic. Psychodynamic basically supposes that whatever's happening in your present moment, there's a, a younger reaction or a childlike state um, that needs to be integrated, is the way that I describe it to my to my clients. When your past becomes your present, it can become very overwhelming. Um, the other theories that EMDR says that it draws from is cognitive behavioral therapy. I like this too. I got trained in DBT. I oftentimes, I'm very visual, so I oftentimes when I'm working with clients and I talk about how trauma works in the brain, I always am visualizing the Venn diagram that you see in dialectical behavioral therapy, which is a rational brain, an emotional brain, and then a wise mind in the middle. And when you actually look at brain scans of people that have experienced trauma, you'll actually see that, that people who have either had no trauma or have healed, they actually have a much thicker, what's called corpus callosum. All right, that's the end of my my brain my brain stuff, because I'm not a brain person, but I just have always thought that that was really fascinating and cool. It also comes from a systems perspective, and I like having done family therapy teenagers that have substance use disorders. Early on in my career, I've always liked the systems perspective. And so according to the most recent clinical guide, to EMDR. EMDR is responsible or has a benefit of three things. One is it helps clients learn from negative past experiences. I'm a big fan of that. It helps desensitize current triggers that can be distressing. Also a big fan of that. Kind of hear that both of those kind of have psychodynamic and cognitive behavioral parts to it. This part was a little bit harder for me to understand, so I tried to put it in my own words. It also helps to adjust the person's template for future actions. And so it helps you temper your own interpersonal self system. And so what I saw that is, is that in therapy, there's always a moment where we can make a choice of whether or not we want to continue to have the old ways of coping with our world and our reality and our psyche Um, usually they're things that we learned in survival and childhood, or we can decide to go and and create a new way. And I think this is a very humanistic approach. If I'm understanding this correctly, I think what this means is that that itself is a really, like to consciously make that decision, that's matrix stuff right there, right? If you haven't seen the matrix, go go watch the matrix and come back and listen to the rest of the show. (laughs) You know, that's, you know, I can only show you the door. But I think what EMDR sounds like they're saying is that like, not only can I show you the door, I can make it easier for you to open it because you're going to not feel like that's jumping off a cliff, you're not going to feel so, I guess, beholden to the past. And so you're going to want to create more of a growth mindset. So that actually really excites me. I am going to be doing this training in two weeks. And I want to be really clear I'm doing this because I'm aware that I'm skeptical. And I think when you're really skeptical about something, I think it's good to test yourself and be like, all right, if you really think it's that bad, but you've never actually done the training, why don't you go through the training? And so I had this opportunity to do this and I love learning. And this is another um, trauma-informed approach. One of the things I love about teaching students, my favorite part of teaching students is when they get to practicum and internship. And I love being able to introduce them to different theoretical approaches. Oftentimes they feel really overwhelmed because they feel like they have to choose something, but I think really they just need to let themselves learn a couple of different things and then decide which one works for them because I can be a role model and say, look, even 20 years into my career, I can learn a new theory and determine whether or not it's something that is a good match to work with my clients, which I think, I think it will be. So I want to be able to honestly share this with students. Not only what is it like to get the training, you know, I want to be able to share them with them what the cost is, you know, what the process is, if I think it's a benefit. Honestly, I just want to satisfy my own curiosity. Like what is, what is this EMDR thing that everybody keeps, keeps talking about? Yeah. I mean, I think 
part of it was financial. Part of it was that I was feeling pretty largely satisfied with the theories that I had. And it just kind of came to a point where I'm like, well, because of online, thankfully, um, things are a little bit more affordable. I can put this in my schedule, even though it's 6 a.m. That was silly of me. And just for fun, because I'm sometimes when I start a journey, I just want to like connect with the powers that be and my power within and just say, what's the what's this journey going to be about? And so I used Marcella Kroll's deck called Nature Nurture, which is a beautiful deck. She's a a spiritual healer that I follow on Instagram. Um, Anyways, um, her cards are beautiful. And this is a card. um, It's a koi fish and it says good luck. The description in the book says prosperity, blessings, good luck. Good fortune has arrived because of your indomitable spirit. Good fortune smiles upon you and grants you access to highest wisdom and many blessings on the journey ahead. If you're inquiring about a relationship or situation, then it's your lucky day. Enjoy this fortunate time by not wasting any moments reminiscing on your past struggles. Oh, that's wonderful. So even personally, if I just get to work through maybe another trauma that I've endured, um, which I won't talk about specifically on the show. I only like to talk about things that I've been through that are meant to be instructive in some way. I feel like sharing about the car accident was instructive and a little humbling for me to, to share about my teenage self. I don't feel as connected to my teenage self being in my 40s. You know, when I work with clients, I try to keep stories about myself brief and make sure the client doesn't feel in any way like they need to take care of me. And I want to assure them that I have my own resources and I also want to put the attention right back on the client. And I think those are good. Those are four good steps for self-disclosure. If you're someone that's in training as a counselor and you're wondering, how do I, how do I go about that? How do I disclose things? Because sometimes clients say things and I say, oh my gosh, I can totally relate to that. And I want to share. And sometimes those disclosures can be really helpful and healing. And sometimes they're just distracting us from being present with the client. And it's hard to know. Like we don't always know. This is part one of my journey. This is the before my training. I will do a second episode in the middle of the training to tell you my response. So this is sort of my reaction to my education. This is kind of fun because it's like I'm kind of showing people how I show up as a student. As a professor, I don't think students really think about how their professors are as students. And I'm actually quite rebellious. <laughs> and I think I really like students that are very rebellious. As long as they're like going out and doing the work. I think that that's the part that I get frustrated with. If people just say, oh, I don't like this or I like that, then I'm like, well, that's opinion, man. Let's, let's, I want to dive deep. I want you to dive deep. Tell me what books you read. Um, and a lot of my students do do that, by the way. So I love being a teacher. I love students. I'm curious. That's why I, I am a professor. I've always been curious about the human condition. That's why I'm a therapist. All of that caveat to say that if this show came across as really negative to you, I humbly apologize. I'm trying to show just a process of what it's like to learn a new therapy skill and to report back on whether or not I think it'll be effective. And yeah, I'm, I'm already pretty much sold on it being effective. Do I think it's going to be a cure-all? No, I think I'm going to have it be one more tool in my tool bag that I'm going to use and I'm probably going to be able to speak more eloquently than I am on this show about it and I'll be able to refer people more or integrate this more into my own counseling practice and also with my supervisees. So that's my prediction. Until next time, take care of you and yours. Bye for now.